Hi, this is Annie Fox of Family Confidential, Secrets of Successful Parenting. My guest today is Dr. Devorah Heitner. Dr. Heitner is the founder and director of Raising Digital Natives, a resource for parents and schools seeking advice on how to help children thrive in a world of digital connectedness. Hi, Devorah. Welcome to Family Confidential. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm a big fan. <laughs> thank you for that. And I'm a big fan of your work. Um, the idea of helping parents raise digital kids is so important. I can't tell you how many times beleaguered parents get in touch with me and want this kind of information. So I'm delighted that you're here. You know, I, I've read some of your comments about um, when's appropriate time to give kids these devices. And you talk very wisely, I think, about giving them training wheels before you let them, you know, go mountain biking off a mountain mountain on these things. So I want you to talk, if you would, please, a a little bit about training wheels for uh, smart devices. Absolutely. You want to think about what your child's communication needs and abilities are before they get the next device or even the next access to a new app. And if, if kids don't have basic abilities to resolve conflicts, for example, or troubleshoot their way out of a slightly tricky peer situation, they may want to be working on some of those skills before they're group texting on their new smartphone, before they're on social media. And the challenging thing for many of us is we're not modeling those skills. So kids go right from parent-controlled and approved and supervised playdates to the world of, here's your own phone, kid, good luck. Wow, you're right. (laughs) It's really tough because kids are actually more supervised and more under the supervision of adults and and kind of controlled by adults and in organized activities than we were. So they're not having as many experiences of navigating boredom, navigating what to do when the discussion turns not so nice, right? They don't have as many of those opportunities to learn those independent skills. And then when they get their own phones or their own devices, it can be tricky. So we really want to give them some practice we want to ask them what they would do. What would you do if you were in a group text and someone started saying mean things about another friend or a teacher? What would you do if you didn't know who was on the text, right? Are they even talking about another child in front of that kid? That happens. Mm. So giving kids some scenarios that they might want to work out before they get to do the next thing is helpful. Even for younger kids, like third and fourth graders who are playing online games, some training wheels to see if they're ready to play with a wider peer group or with less supervision might be asking them, so what makes a good friend to play Minecraft with? What makes someone fun to play with? And what makes someone maybe kind of a bummer to play with? And if your child is exhibiting some of those negative behaviors themselves, even having that conversation is a chance for them to have discernment. Like if they say someone who doesn't get really, really mad when they lose or doesn't want to quit playing when it's not going well, well, your kid may be really talking about themselves. And so that's a very helpful way to get them thinking and self-reflecting, but without being a judgmental parent and saying, you know, you're a sore loser, right? We don't want to go there. We want to help our kids kind of come to some of those conclusions themselves so they can think, oh, maybe more kids will want to play Minecraft with me if, you know, I change my behavior. (laughs) If I change my behavior, absolutely. So those are some of the training wheels and, and you, there's not a hard and fast age. Parents always want from me when I speak at schools and in other settings a, a time. They want to know what age is the appropriate age. And often they're responding to a community where maybe some of their children's friends have been given a device at a yeah. time when the parents who are speaking to me really wish their kids' friends didn't have those devices yet because it's putting pressure on them. And I say to those parents, really stand strong. Look at your child's abilities and what they really need if they are not spending any unsupervised time. If this is a kid who is not ready to be home alone for 30 minutes, could not watch a younger sibling for an hour, 
Do they need their own communication device? And, and in that case, for what, right? What do they need it for if they can't walk home from school on their own, for example? Those are just some questions to ask yourself. This is great. And I just really love the way you're helping parents really think about what you're giving access to when you're giving one of these devices. It's not just, um, you know, videos that may not be appropriate or, or um, message boards where people are piling on in nasty ways. But it's, it's really more the idea of what would you do in a peer conflict what would you do when things turn nasty and, and, and what you're reading is a piling on effect and you're feeling um, like you want to stand up for someone, for yourself or for someone else? How do you go about doing that? The idea of practicing that with these kind of questions, these hypotheticals you've posed, I think is really great and so helpful. Obviously, you and I know that this is this is a, a lifelong practice and yes. not just one little conversation where we have a session. Okay, I think you you know what to do in situation A. Okay, here you go. Um, what we're talking about really is making healthy choices, even when you're under pressure. Absolutely. And having empathy, remembering when you post that picture of your birthday party, someone who doesn't, who wasn't invited might see that picture, just Mm -hmm. like you've maybe had experiences with seeing things where you weren't invited. And so we want to help our kids both be resilient in the face of those experiences, because to live in the world of social media is to know about a million things all over the world that you're not part of. And it's also to be considerate, right? You want to be considerate. Do you, is this information helping the friendship? Is this really something I need to share widely? Could I just share it with the three friends who are in the picture? Do I need to share it with my whole following? Having some criteria. We want our kids to have some criteria for who they connect with in these spaces, whether it's who to play an online game with, who to follow on Instagram or other social media. And those, those are conversations where we can actually model. As adults, we can talk about, many of us are on Facebook. It's the, it's the parents' favorite social media. So many people who are parenting kids this age are on social media. And to say, wow, I was, you know, connected with all these people from high school, but I realized some of them were kind of negative or just, I didn't really feel like I was getting a lot from the connection. And so I, I disconnected or I hid them from my feed and that made me feel better. Or this person's post always made me feel bad. Oh, so good. Yeah. You know, this is so interesting because I've never really thought of any of this in terms of, um, Life lessons that really have nothing to do with social media. This, what you're talking about is um, being empathetic, um, being sensitive to other people's feelings versus being in your face and being very um, self-aggrandizing. Um, you know, these kind of lessons, I think in a way, the, the curve is speeded up because kids have so many more opportunities to make mistakes here, which is Good. I think this is really, I agree. really I good. Too We're... focused on prevention. And actually, we also just really need to focus on repair. And so many digital citizenship programs and even schools will bring me and say, how can we prevent the kids from making mistakes? And I always say, you can't. You have to create an environment where they can go forward with grace and empathy for themselves and learn from their mistakes because we can't prevent the mistakes. It's not that I would do those hypotheticals and then expect that kids will always get it right. It's just good to start having those conversations. And then when they're in that situation, they can say, oh, I, I thought I might react this way. But actually, it's, it's, it's maybe nice to be able to say, you know what? My dad looks at my phone, and so I can't be part of this conversation because it's going in a mean direction. Like, maybe I thought I would be a super upstander and wear my cape and say, you know, I don't like the way you're talking about Jane. 
but maybe I'm not ready for that. So I'm just going to say, I got to go, I got to bounce. I'm going to get in trouble. And, and that's a good self-preservation technique for some, right? So it's good for kids to try different things. Maybe they tried one way to repair a situation with a friend and it didn't work so well. Try another way. Yeah. I think, I think this kind of thing, um, what I say to kids when I'm, I'm helping them navigate friendship conflicts and, and, you know, kind of tricky situations is that this is not math, meaning that there is never only one appropriate response or helpful response. You've got a lot of different options that can make things better. And, and, in the same way that um, a bullying prevention assembly is not going to, quote, cure or vaccinate every child in the auditorium against bullying, the question is, and on a, on a um, kind of global level, is this helpful in some way? In the same way that you can ask your child on a very personal one-on-one level, what you're about to um, post, how you're about to click, think, is this helpful? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Right. And when I, when I work with kids in schools, I like to do more ongoing conversations, right. To, to have them develop creative ideas. Cause I, I also think we need to co-create solutions with kids. Yeah. We need to mentor them more than we are monitoring them. And we need to help them come up with ideas and kids, fifth and sixth graders in my workshops have wonderful ideas oh, yes. for the solutions to everyday problems that technology can bring like boundary issues you know, that friend that texts you 60 times when you're away from your phone to do your homework and you come back and you have all these texts. And, you feel and they're mad. Quite they're... Counted and they're mad. Yeah. Right? And so kids, kids feel stressed by that, but they often admit that they've done it themselves, that it can be hard for them. And so again, that empathy comes into play, trying to picture what is your friend doing? Well, maybe she's sleeping or doing her homework or eating dinner with her family. And it's probably the least likely reason she's not texting back is, is, is probably not that she's angry or avoiding you. She's probably doing something else and that's okay. And we want you to feel okay doing something else too. I had a 10 year old once ask me, is it okay if I just don't feel like texting? Sometimes my friends want to text and I don't. Yes. <laughs> You're 10. Of course it's okay. Even for adults, it should be okay to put their phones away. But especially for a 10 year old who couldn't possibly have a professional obligation that's call, you know, calling them or a, a childcare responsibility. Absolutely. Put that phone away and go play outside. I think it's really interesting when we live in a world where um, access is on demand, the expectation for replies tends to be um, instantaneous. I mean, so if I texted you and 30 seconds went by, the this very strange and twisted response inside of me is, is she mad at me? What's wrong? How come I'm not hearing from her? I better send another. I better send another. I think we really um, do our kids a disservice by um, reinforcing the idea that you must always respond right away. Um, sometimes we need to take a breather so that we have a more thoughtful response. And um, they should see us sometimes hearing an incoming message and and saying, no, I'm not going to answer that now. I'm not going to answer that. I'm with the family now. And they want us to put it away. I mean, that's the other thing I'm hearing from the kids I work with is they want us to put our devices away. Some of them have designed apps in my workshops just to get their parents off the phone (laughs) to pay attention to them and connect with them. So they want us to put our devices away and they're very aware of how addicted and connected we are. And I, I mean, I think technology is amazing, Yeah. but I nonetheless 
feel that connective stress as well. And I feel like I, when I'm multitasking and I have multiple windows open and different people are trying to contact me in different, with different applications, I feel that stress too. So we want to model for kids how to manage that because we're seeing the research is showing us that, that young people are stressed by this from a very young age, from the, when they first get devices. So we, we need to help them. Yeah, and I, I don't want it to become normalized. I don't want the stress to seem like, oh, well, that's just the way it is. I want kids and parents to know that you're making choices here. How much of this device will you allow to take over family time, um, time when you can be doing other things that you need to be doing other things? And, um, you know, as I say to kids, you, you know there's an on, an off switch on this? Well, corp- corporations are now setting some office hours and saying, okay, we're not going to have email, expect our employees to answer email at all hours. And I think that's a really great idea. And so for parents who are in leadership positions at work, who can say to their team, you know what, I'm with my kids in the evening. I don't want to be on email. You shouldn't be either. Oh, that's great. That's really great. I mean, Germany is looking at, at setting that into law and saying, you know, workers will need to be paid overtime if they're expected to email after hours. So that's, that feels very extreme coming from this culture, but I think it's a really great conversation and to look as a family to an unplugged time for me once a week, we unplug on Friday nights for other families. It could be Sunday afternoon. It could be, and it also can be mealtimes. I'm not suggesting that people should only unplug once a week, but if they want to have a sustained unplugged time in addition to maybe connected mealtimes and other things that can be really helpful for kids to look forward to that time, to know that it's a ritual and not have to, you know, it's not something you fight about every time. Yeah, I think that's wonderful. And I love that idea of this oasis of unpluggedness or an oasis of connectivity. And and I think children do need it. They will look forward to it. And then they will think, hey, you know what? I could do this on my own. I can choose to create um, a bubble around myself right now because I'm reading a book that I'm really loving or I'm out riding my bicycle and I don't want to be dealing with the thing that's buzzing in my back pocket. I just Absolutely. I just want to be on my own or I just want to be one-on-one with my family or my dog or my friend without, mm-hmm. you know, it, and we have to um, empower them to make those decisions for themselves. And again, leadership, as you say, Absolutely. we need to model it. And I think we, on the flip side, we need to recognize that when they are doing their interactions via screen, it is social. So a lot of parents will say to me, I'm worried my kid is losing social skills. Well, when she's playing Minecraft with her friends, when he's texting his friends, that is social. So it's not that we don't want that to be the only social time they have, but for some kids, it can even be a bridge. So there are kids who are socially isolated where the game that they play might be actually a bridge to more friends. So we don't want to make negative assumptions about what kinds of socializing kids are doing via digital spaces and apps. We just want them to develop skills to, as you say, connect and disconnect and also be with friends in person. Kids who are young enough to still call hanging out with their friends a play date will complain to me. I hate when my friends come for a play date and then they're on their phones. And I'm thinking, first of all, when kids are young enough to use the term play date to reference hanging out with their peers, they're really young for phones. That's that's a really young age. But secondly, that's something they're still young enough to be getting some mentorship from parents. I mean, kids at that age may need some help to say, you know what, when your friends come over, let's put the phones away. This isn't really the time. And then as kids get older, they'll make that decision for themselves. And they'll also decide for themselves, just like you might drop a friend over the years who is always on her phone when you're at brunch. You might say, maybe I don't want to have brunch with that friend anymore. Over time, I've seen kids in high school say, you know what, the people who are always on their phones are not the most 
fun to hang out with. And so kids will make their own decisions about, do I want a friend who will look me in the face when we're talking? Yeah. Or do I see the top of her head all the time? Right. Um, I I love that you're, you're acknowledging that for a lot of kids, the social time can happen via online gaming and uh, especially the kids who are challenged in the area of making connections, reading social cues. These can be a wonderful transition and uh, maybe the only place for now that they're feeling total acceptability and, and all that is, is really good. So parents, when you walk by your kid's room and you see them in front of the screen, having seemingly no awareness of the physical environment and the here and now, don't jump to conclusions about whether this is a waste of time or that, that they, and, or make decisions for them about what you think they should be doing that is more productive. Um, instead, I would suggest, and I think you, you might concur, Devorah, that, that engaging a kid in a conversation, um, you know, what do you love about this? Tell me, tell me a little bit about it. I don't know about this game. Can you show me? When kids are younger, we want to play what they play enough to appreciate it. So just like if your kid took up lacrosse or chess and you were not familiar, you would want to know enough to be able to appreciate their skill and their prowess. If your kid takes up Clash of Clans or Minecraft, have them show you enough that you can appreciate what they're doing. It may become your new hobby. It may not, probably (laughs) not. But it's great to learn about it enough to appreciate what they're doing and appreciate the different modes. And you do want to help them. Again, if, if their mood is not great after they play, that's, a, that's something to look for and work with them on and say, okay, you're still responsible for coming to dinner and being pleasant. And so you need to unplug 15 minutes before dinner so you can have that time to decompress. Great. And, you know, if it is in their room, that's a big responsibility. Most kids before a certain age probably aren't ready and at a certain level of maturity probably aren't ready to have a lot of access to technology in their bedrooms because that is where momentary lapses of judgment, you know, like you're Skyping with a friend and they say, oh, you know, just, just flash me or just do this or just do that. Well, I can be recorded. I mean, there are, there are times where I would say, and especially the sort of volatile middle, year, middle school years, tech in the room is definitely a kind of a yellow light situation. It really depends on your kid, what they need. If they say they needed to do homework, that's one thing, but they may be able to do homework around the dining room table. Another big thing to look out for is actually with, with homework is distractions. A lot of our kids are getting very distracted when they do homework on laptops and tablets. And and we may need to model for them and say to them again, just like you would talk to them about your social media use to say, I find the laptop challenging too. I get distracted too. I would rather look at my friend's cute babies than finish my next chapter of my book. So (laughs) I have to turn it off. And I, sometimes I even have to turn off the internet and just use my computer like a word. I do. I do. I yeah. turn it off, turn off email, turn off messaging. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's great to have those conversations because it's not that there's something wrong with the kid. The human brain is wired for, you know, looking for interesting tidbits. Yeah. <laughs> and and we are constantly being um, barraged with all kinds of temptations. So Absolutely. yes, I think, I think all of this is really great, great information. So um, I'd love to talk to you more, but we're running out of time. And so I'd like to ask you if you could please give our listeners and viewers um, some specific places on the web where they can find out more about your work, Devorah. Absolutely. So I blog at RaisingDigitalNatives.com and I also share there my, my TEDx, which is a 10-minute summary of some of my big ideas uh, recently are, is there. And then I've written a curriculum for fourth to eighth grade with a wonderful colleague who's a school counselor. I can show you this connecting wisely. Ah, And it's really a space for, these exercises are about creating spaces for young people to co-create solutions 
uh, about the ways that they're feeling. So it's not a safety curriculum. It's all about friendship, identity, helping kids not crowdsource their identity and not try to quantify their friendships by how many people are following them. So just getting them to talk about these things. And this is something that you could use in a scouting troop, in a youth group, or in a school setting to start those conversations with young people. I'm also working on a handbook for parents on mentoring kids in the digital age, and that will be out next year. So I'm very excited about that. And I look. I also take questions. People write to me at devora at raisingdigitalnatives.com. And if I can answer your question, I will answer it to you. And sometimes I also turn those into blog posts that are anonymous. I won't say your name, but where I share the answer because I know that if you have that question, there's someone else out there who's dealing with the same challenge with their family. And, and finally, I just want to remind parents that the kids have a lot of tech savvy, but you have wisdom. You've not been invited to a birthday party. You've repaired a problem or two or three in long-standing relationships with friends and peers and colleagues. And so even though you may not have done that on Twitter or Instagram, you still have a lot of experience that is very helpful to your child growing up in the digital age. So trust your own wisdom as a parent and also look to be mentored by your child in terms of their tech savvy. Maybe let them teach you something as well. Let them show you the apps they're using and teach you how they work. And that, again, can start a really important conversation. We really need to mentor our kids in this space more than we monitor them. And so that's my... That's my big idea that I want to share is that we don't want to just put a chip on their computer to see what they're doing. We really need to have ongoing conversations and it never ends. As you said, it's not that you have the one conversation and you're done. It's an ongoing conversation. It sure is. And um, I love when you empower and encourage parents to feel confident about having these conversations, to base these conversations, not necessarily on what they know about the latest app that the kid is using, but on their own social smarts and their wisdom that they've gained over the years. This is great. This is the piece that kids need most. So thank you so much, Devorah, for spending time with us today. Um, Thank you for the good work that you do. I'm delighted to have made this connection. Thanks so much. Have a beautiful day. You too. Bye-bye. This is Annie Fox for Family Confidential. To learn more about my work with parents of tweens and teens, visit AnnieFox.com. And please check out my new parenting book, Teaching Kids to Be Good People, Progressive Parenting for the 21st Century. And my book for tween girls, the girls' Q&A book on friendship, 50 Ways to Fix a Friendship Without the Drama. And if you like this podcast, please rate us on iTunes. It may seem like a little thing to you, but it will mean an awful lot to us. Family Confidential Podcast is produced by Electric Egg Plant, creators of books and apps for parents, kids, tweens, and teens. And tune in next time when my guest will be Ginger Cadlick. Ginger is a child advocate and the founder of BeAKidsHero.com. We'll be talking about sexual abuse prevention for kids. Until next time, happy parenting.